Today's episode is sponsored by Alone in the Dark. The highly anticipated new reimagination by Pieces Interactive and THQ Nordic. Play as Edward Carnby or Emily Hartwood to explore your environments, fight monsters, solve puzzles, and uncover the true secret of Dorsetto Manor. Our favorite heroes are brought to life by Hollywood stars Jodie Comer of Killing Eve and David Harbour of Stranger Things, who lend not only their voices, but their appearance and their formidable acting skills to the brave protagonists. Experience a deep psychological story that goes beyond the realms of the imaginable, all dreamed up by Mikhail Hedberg, cult horror writer of Soma and Amnesia. The team at Pieces Interactive is supported by monster designer and legendary Guillermo del Toro collaborator Guy Davis, as well as doom jazz legend Jason Conan, who provides his eerie and haunting melodies for the right atmosphere. Alone in the Dark is available March 20th on PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. Pre-order your copy now and escape into the dark. Hello and welcome to Safe Room, BloodyDisgusting.com's Dead Pixels Horror Game Podcast. I am your host, Neil Bolt, on my own for this uh, episode. It's a short one, as Jay is currently enjoying a little relax and recuperation from the working year, and, but he'll be back for the next episode. Uh, but I wanted to do this anyway at some point uh, during our run that um, you know, we got to the halfway point of the year and I wanted to talk about some of the uh, games you know, within the genre and close to it that have interested me the most you know, you know if anything in best games of the year list if you will um, though you know you can't always quite call it that because that's uh, someone's bound to disagree with you but uh, obviously we couldn't do it back in June because it was just E3 and then planning uh, for guests and such so I found this little niche and I thought I'd go at it. So, I'm picking six games uh, in particular, but I, I wanted to do a few honourable mentions of what I will call the not-quite-horror-enough-but-worth-a-mention. You know, games that aren't necessarily about being scary, but are quite bloody or have some monsters and things in them. and Or just you know, deal in death a lot. Uh, I mean, yes, a lot of games do, but uh, playing with the format of death. So, for instance, uh, Hitman 3 is, is one of these games. I'm a big fan of Hitman anyway, and uh, it's uh, if Final Destination were a person, Agent 47 is that person. And you get to sort of work out these little uh, accidents for very nasty people, and that's always been the appeal of the series. And free marking the uh, first game on the current-gen consoles, turned out really well. Ended the story strongly, had one of the best missions of the lot in its Berlin nightclub and yeah it's going to be great to see what they do with James Bond IO Interactive when they get to that next Um, also worth mentioning is Chivalry 2 which you know if we're talking broadly in terms of games is probably going to be up there for my game of the year you know it's um, Battlefield meets Monty Python in the sense that it's medieval warfare much like Battlefield plays out with big teams of 32 on 32 um, but instead of helicopters and machine guns it's um, you know swords, axes and um, 
well, you can throw pretty much anything that you can get your hands on, um, whether it be horse manure or bread or just uh, a jug of beer. Whatever. It's the fun thing about Chivalry 2 is that you can just experiment and find these interesting ways of uh, taking people out. And I, that was always what I used to like about Battlefield, is that it's just organic moments would come up and you'd end up recording them to other people and going I, I you know I kill this person with bread or whatever you know and it, it's nuts but it also is just absurdly gory uh, you, you can cut limbs off that's where the, the Monty Python sort of feeling comes into it apart from that and the dialogue uh, where you know you can carry on fighting with arms chopped off and the like and it's a uh, yeah it, it ends up being massively compelling to come back to because of that because you're not getting the same sort of thing every time. And the sword play is really good for a first-person sword game. And you know, I'd like to see more games uh, that employ swords to use them like that, because uh, it's fantastic. And finally, in, in this little uh, section, uh, Outriders by uh, former Bulletstorm devs, People Can Fly, which you know, it has monsters and superpowers and stuff, but it's very, you know, not the most interesting part of the game it's just that you can play around with these cool powers and shoot down hordes of enemies it's destiny with an attention deficit if you will and that's fine because it does the job you can finish it and not take years uh, of your life away and it's great yeah on to the games proper so we'll start with the most obvious uh, pick of the lot which is Resident Evil Village uh, the 8th incarnation of the main series of Resident Evil. And yeah, following on from the events of Resident Evil 7, it's you know, a big claim to fame early on came from its uh, very tall vampire lady, Lady Dimitres. And that you know that whole mansion in the demo was enticing because it's like, oh, this feels like a classic Resi situation. But, you know, it's much more like Resident Evil 4 in terms of how it's paced and how the action goes. Uh but just with that first person viewpoint that we got the 7 it does some really cool things we, we, you know, as far as games go we've discussed this uh, at length on the spoiler cast so you know there's that so I won't draw, don't go for too long with this one but what is definitely the standout is, is yeah, the, the second the house if you will that ends up being uh, one of the, the, the scariest parts of a Resident Evil game for some time uh, that's Good going. I mean, the end is a problem for some. You know, it gets a bit action heavy and absurd, but I liked it. Um, it's yeah, it was a refreshing sort of addition to the series. Looks wonderful, you know, as well on a PS5. And yeah, it, it can't not be here. It is going to be up there for a lot of people. You know, I think at the end of the year, especially in terms of horror-led games. So next is. More of a sci-fi horror game, and I don't think it gets mentioned as much in those circles, but I think it counts in, in my personal ranking, and that's what matters. It, it is my personal thoughts. So yeah, game two is Returnal by Housemark. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Housemark's uh, old-style uh, arcade action that they had in Next Machina and the like, and Resogun, and they made a very good. Uh, isometric uh, zombie shooter in Zombie Apocalypse back in the day, which is like, one of the first things that really got on with on PS4 the, with other people. And so yeah, it, this being their big budget uh, attempt to at being a, a Sony extended universe game, if you will, <laughs> it, it has been 
Wow. I mean, it takes elements of what they've learned, elements of the Souls games in terms of progression, and yeah, very much a Metroidvania style as well. And it's just really intimidating as games go at first, and it really plays up to this otherworldly feel where everything just seems very odd to you and nothing's really explained because the character, Celine, who is an astronaut, basically has crash-landed on this place, planet of Atropos uh, to investigate something called a white shadow signal and it sticks her in a time loop on this planet. But every time she comes out of the time loop and dies and, go and starts again, um, certain places are in different ways and different orders. You know, there's several touch points to each area that remain, but obviously they are snapped together with lots of uh, randomly generated in-between bits, and that includes the enemies as well. So that in its own is one thing, but at the end of each area is this sort of uh, boss you get, and they are like bullet hell madness. You know, most enemies are in this game. It, it does have that bullet hell feel of. Uh, they're all games. Beating these bosses is as satisfying as when you, you figure out a, a Dark Souls boss. You know, it, it gets right at you, and you get the idea of what you want to be doing with it eventually, and it clicks. And that in itself is satisfying. But just the overall environment and atmosphere of the game really sold me on it more than anything. I think it compelled me to keep trying because I wanted to know more about Celine and why she's having this sort of time loop episode and why she's having to fight off these alien beings uh, every turn and the opening area has a very hitchhiker sort of look to it and then areas beyond that um, get a bit more personality of their own I feel and end up impressing just as much bosses especially just get even more ridiculous and tough as nails and they just it's a real visual treat as well because of everything flying around all the time and the speed of things and yeah it's just there's a very horror vibe to it going through the whole game and uh, that's I like that sort of thing where it's not true horror necessarily but it it has a lot of that uh, in just the tone and atmosphere and yeah it's I was excited for it before it came out and it turned out to be far better than I even hasn't anticipated so it is yeah, one of, one of my six favourite games released this year so far. Um, let's see, what else have we got? So Game 3 is the latest DreadX collection, which is DreadX Collection The Hunt uh, by DreadXP and David Simansky, I hope I said that right, uh, you know, of Dusk fame, who has overseen seven developers with a short time span to make it their own little anthology game based on a concept. In this case, uh, there's an overriding hub world where you are in an Arctic base that's been abandoned and trying to piece together that story and that's really cool because you know straight away it has this very The Thing vibes to it but then the games themselves are just insane in the best way um, like a Rose of Meat for instance is one of the games and you crash on this island and this island watches you and the island is all frozen and making the mumbling under the breath rose 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 and yeah you just <laughs> you're basically armed with a gun and a leg of meat that talks and it just continues to be madder and madder as you go and all these games are like 
takes on shooters and horrors, if you will, um, as a game that is basically doing a bit of the old um, fatal frame sort of thing. Uh, that's oh, what is that? That's Axis Monday. Yes, was the game I'm thinking of in that package. And then there's just stuff that's like N64 style shooters and and the House of Unrest. I think there's another one that was a priest reforming a ritual against a demon. And yeah, each of these games is interesting in its own right, and but all feel very connected uh, as these collections tend to. And it's yeah, it's a remarkable bit of work that you know, considering the small time frame they've done that, and managing to tie it all together really well with this overarching story. So it's yeah, I'm generally impressed with these collections anyway, and this has been another delightful one. And you know, when Dusk Creator is the head of a project like this, it instantly got my attention because Dusk is one of my favourite shooters of you know the last ten or so years. for what it does so it, yeah it, you can feel that you know in terms of the things that people have done with this and uh, yeah you should definitely check the, that one out it is you know compared to the games I just mentioned which are these you know big uh, big budget games this is it has given me as many interesting conversations and memories as, as those games have you know it's just uh, fewer people unfortunately have got around to playing it but you know you can remedy that so that's three games down. Um, four, uh, game four. Remember, these aren't in order; they're just the games I've picked. Um, talked about it on last week's episode. Uh, the medium. Now, yes, you, you will. If you've heard last week's episode, you will know that we had misgivings about a certain aspect of the medium. But we also went on to great detail about why it did so much right. You know, with the ambition and the setting and the tone already worked well. Um, if you didn't know, it's a psychological horror game set in post-communism Poland back in the late, at the end of the 90s. And you play as a spirit medium that, that helps, uh, you know, souls seek the, their peace, if you will. And then she has to visit this old resort that is haunted and, uh, learns the story of the ghost there and her own past. Unfortunately, the resolution of some of that turns out to be horribly misguided and, uh, kind of spoils the rest of the game in a way but you know we talked about it so much at this point that um, it, it ended up being like, yeah we can appreciate that this isn't going to be probably you know, game of the year or anything but it is interesting from Bloober who you know, they, they keep trying different things and this particular thing generally worked well the end part did not it's uh, on Xbox now and I think it's going to PS5 in September and going in with the warning that there is a a plot point that deals with sexual abuse be cautious of that if if you are going into it and you have problems or worries about that sort of thing uh, uh, being told in the story Uh, next game on the list then Um, we've got two left already okay so uh, next is Werewolf the Apocalypse Earthblood, which, you know, for me came out of nowhere as being the perfect sort of 7 out of 10 game. You know, you're saying well, you're putting a 7 out of 10 game on your uh, favourite games of the year list so far. And yeah, I am, because it just does little things that no other game I've played this year has done. And it, whilst it has the jank and the, the the silliness to it. There's some really interesting stuff because of the universe it's set in, you know, which is the same universe as Vampire the Masquerade. But this is more like um, 
if James Cameron's Avatar or Fern Gully or whatever you want to call it was um, about a pack of werewolves uh, being eco-warriors and yeah that's basically it you are a biker boy style eco-warrior who can turn into a werewolf and and use the wolf form to sneak around bases you can use your human form as well and to interact with other people and then you have this big old fighting werewolf form that basically just goes into a a hack and slash action style so it sort of blends different styles of genre you know not particularly subtly not smoothly but it does just make sure you've got a little loop of different things to do each time I mean the game is quite repetitive story is very interesting and I don't know it's one of those sort of you can switch your brain off for the action kind of get invested in some of the lore of it which is true of all these uh, games in the werewolf and vampire masquerade type games because uh, they have so much behind them in terms of storytelling and you can really dig into that if you want beyond just the game and yeah it does tell quite a cool little eco story uh, eco warrior story with werewolves and you know like I said not many games out there can claim that so yeah that is pick five I will end my picks with Hidden Fields Mundan. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, now this is was an interesting game way before I got my hands on it because it has a pencil drawn style to it. You know, you know, it, it looks like sketches all the way through in first boot. It's a first person psychological horror, I suppose you would call it. With this one, so it sees the, the playing as a player, a man called Curtin, who is returning to his grandfather's hometown for a funeral and when he gets there he's told his grandfather has died in a barn fire and was already buried but um, when he goes to the ruins of that building he finds a burned corpse and basically he finds that the grave is empty then and then he tries it goes into this whole mystery of what what's really going on in this you know black and white pencil drawn world and he basically uncovers some cultish goings on and some strange stuff it's based on a Swiss town the game's created a um, influenced by you know, his childhood of going to this place and it's got a real ominous tone to it I, I say Scandinavian simply because it has uh, a folk horror vibe of something like Midsummer or, or you know more the Wicker Man as well is there as well in terms of English stuff and yeah it just really does capture a very oppressive mood without going overboard and I think the fact that it looks like you're looking at like um sketches in like a, a book of myths and um, fairy tales and folklore and things that adds a lot to this whole well there's some sort of ancient mystery and stories and cults and things going on here and yeah it just feels like literally it has leapt off the page and is presented to you in playable form I think that's a really interesting style for a game and I think then the game itself backs that up by being quite fascinating anyway because of its setting and you know all these things based on actual things uh, within this, this Swiss village and the village itself as it is based on real location and it is just quite a fun thing to, to go through that you find this fascinating place to explore in this new and interesting visual style and yeah it's a uh, Again, another game that needs more eyes on it, I think, because I think come the end of the year, it, it should be mentioned as in high, uh, high regard as uh, games like Resident Evil. So, that was my six. Um, 
do feel free to reach out to us and tell us what games in the genre have really hit you this year so far I mean there's been a few others I haven't got around to everything you know life of an editor and all that you don't quite get around to everything quite early on in the year uh, and we've still got more to come you know there, there will be plenty more horror games on the horizon uh, including you know Back for Blood and Aliens Fire Team uh, adding to the old co-op uh, we just had on Bloody Disgusting the preview for Aliens Fire Team and that uh, by Mark Delaney and he really enjoyed that so that's promising that's out next month so and Back for Blood will be out later this year and that's good and yeah just plenty uh, more beyond that on the horizon and hopefully you know I'll have a good few more games to be adding at the end of the year when we do this list again yep so that's it for me for this one I hope you have a good week and we shall see you next week both me and Jay once again goodbye thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform and for updates on the show follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.